you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. To be here with you again, and my family also send their loving greetings, and Sarah is actually with me. She's being a good wingman and accompanying me along today as well. But I'd like to start really by saying thank you to Living Word and to this church because you've been a foundational blessing, such a source of blessing to our own lives and to so many others for so many years. Uh, For those of you who are newer here, you may not know, uh, my wife and I moved up here from St. Louis about 27 years ago, and we found a home here in this church. Uh, We didn't have family here in the area. This church became our family. And this church has so shaped our understanding of what church should be in terms of committed relationships and has walked with us so faithfully over so many different seasons of our lives in the last quarter century or so. Um, as Todd was running through a few of those things, it sinks in for me because it was about 16 years ago I left the career that I had in my job in Chicago to become a pastor here at Living Word. And this church had so much faith for me at a time when I had so much to learn. And I thank you for the faith and the way that people in this church who'd walked with God longer than me were willing to extend faith to me for what God was going to do in me and for me and in this church as well. And a dozen years ago, this church sent us out as a family. It was about a week before Sarah was born. And we went with about five dozen other people from Living Word and started a congregation in Crown Point. And just in the goodness and mercy of God, uh, he was with us in the going, and he was with this church in the sending and the remaining as well. And about seven years ago it was, we were wrestling with God about his call for our lives and how he wanted to use us. And this church, again, was part of sending our family into Africa for some years. And, and it has been in such a consistent pattern that this church has found faith that reaches beyond itself. And now that I have the privilege of pastoring at Mercy Hill Church, which, again, Living Word started about eight and a half years ago, I can see that DNA at Mercy Hill as well. I want to thank you for sending that. Not just sending people, but sending people who carry what the heart of this church has been. It's an apostolic spirit that continues to reach beyond itself. And now I have the privilege of working at Mercy Hill with other leaders who were once part of the children's ministry here, who are part of the youth group here, and have grown up and are serving God in some dramatic and radical ways. And so this church continues to have a lot of fruit that you don't see here in Lansing, but is really making a difference in so many places, including just for me down the road over in Munster. And so I want to say thank you, but I want to do more than say thank you for that this morning because I'm thankful for your willingness to invest by faith in your finances, people, not just build this congregation, but to go beyond. But I also want through the word of God to encourage you never to hold back but instead to be bold in giving your best for Jesus. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here, God, who've been family for me, for my children, for for our whole family, God, those that I've known for so many years and those who are still really new to me. Lord, thank you so much for the faith that has been here in this church, God. Faith Lord, that's been embodied by those who've gone before us, who aren't with us anymore, who've gone to their reward and glory. God, thank you. 
Lord, thank you for the faith of those that you're raising up who are right now in other parts of this building learning the story of your word from teachers who are ministering into their lives, God. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have together in the here and now, God, in this moment in time, in this place that you've put us. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you with everything we have. We bless you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bible, if you still have one of these old, paper, old school paper ones, to Mark chapter 14. There's an episode that happens here, the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 14, that speak to whether worship is worth it for us or whether it just feels like a waste. I'd like to read these first 11 verses. They go like this. It says, now the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the, excuse me, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But they said this to each other. They said, but not during the feast or the people may riot. So you can see they're planning, they're scheming. And Mark has put this in here to set the tone for us. It's really setting the stage for the rest of the Gospel of Mark. But it's here in this almost introductory fashion to tell us that what happens next is happening under the shadow of the plans to kill Jesus. And it says in verse 3 that while he was in Bethany. So who's he in that verse? Just guess. You're in church? If you're in church, the answer is probably Jesus. And so it's talking about Jesus. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at, a, at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. How's that for a nickname? I, uh, probably this, this was probably someone that Jesus had healed. We don't know a lot about him. But it's a place where Jesus is relaxing. It, it's a moment like Joyce was talking about, where there's a sense of repose. He is reclining at the table. He is among friends. And while he's reclining at the table in the home of a man named Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, which you can look up on Google if you're interested. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present, however, they were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste? Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Verse 10 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. And in this short episode, brothers and sisters, we see a clash of two value systems, 
two ways of looking at and evaluating what's really worthwhile, what's precious, what matters, and therefore how best to make decisions. And in one corner, we have the worth of Jesus. And over here in this economy, in this perspective, Jesus is worth my best. And Jesus himself, because he's the most precious thing there is, nothing is too much for Jesus. Nothing is too much to give to him because I love him with all that I have. Now over here, in the other corner, is another perspective. It's another way of looking at things. It's another way of seeing Jesus. And it says, oh, that's a waste. Because there's other things that could be done that would have been better, would have been much more valuable. This economy, this perspective, it commodifies all of our assets. And it's a numbers-based perspective that's looking to have the most efficient, most productive, the most sensible way of using each and everything that we have. And so over here, the criticism is, it could have been done better. Giving it to Jesus wasn't the right choice. Instead, you should sell it and get plenty of money for it because you could do something better with it than give it to Jesus. And I want to submit to you this morning that the the tension between these two perspectives is not limited to Mark chapter 14, 2,000 years ago that this is the tension that you and I will consistently have to live in and face and battle between in the choices that we make about our worship day by day by day. This economy, it views the perfume as a commodity. And it looks at every aspect of our lives as something we should be able to get something from. And this perspective over here, in light of the worth of Jesus, sees everything we have in every part of our life as something we can offer to him. And that's the fundamental difference between it being worth it or it being a waste when we worship. Now, by this value system over here, in this, this is the critique. These are the critics over here who are looking at, at the action of this woman. It says they rebuked her harshly. How would this perspective evaluate what Jesus himself was about to do? Say it this way. How does this perspective evaluate the cross of Jesus Christ? It's such a waste. I mean, do you realize what a wasteful extravagance there is? in God's approach to salvation, to the cross itself, that the very Son of God himself would die and be poured out as a a saving perfume himself for all of creation, that Jesus would die after only three years of helping people. Don't you realize there was so much more that Jesus could have done if he hadn't died so soon? There were many other people to be healed, many oppressed to be set free, people to be delivered, so many government systems that needed to be changed and overthrown to bring justice on the earth. And suddenly, he's gone. He was just getting started. What a waste. When we live in this perspective, we begin to criticize God harshly, not just this woman. Because we're saying to ourselves, God, I know better than you do how to do this. 
God, I'm much wiser than you are. God, you're wasteful in the things that you do. And we criticize God's approach and the way he does things because it doesn't line up with our own value system. You know, I I love verse 6 because we see ultimately out of all of the critics, there's only one opinion that matters eternally. And it's what Jesus thinks, amen? What really matters is what Jesus has to say about our worship. And what's Jesus have to say? Well, he answers the critics. And he answers the critics by approaching it from a different value system. He just peels back the curtain, and we can see that Jesus actually agrees with her, that he's worth it. And Jesus says this. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. And everyone else in the room, I'm exaggerating, I'm extrapolating a bit. We don't know that it was everybody else in the room, but it sure was a group. It was a plural group. The way Mark describes this makes it seem like everybody in the room minus one is piling on this lady for what she's done. And that one is the one who matters. He's Jesus. And he comes at this from this different economy, this different value system. And everyone else is saying, you could have done something better. And their object of better for them wasn't Jesus. Their idea of better was other people out there. But Jesus says she's done a beautiful thing to me. Let me put it this way. The real value of our actions is found in their relation to Jesus himself. What determines whether our actions really have value, have worth, is what do they have to do with Jesus? And what made what this woman did so valuable was what Jesus said to me. She's done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus sees value and worth based on how we respond to him in the opportunities that we've been given. It means that in Jesus' perspective, it's not about saving things for the most financially advantageous or efficient way to capitalize on our assets. Instead, it's about whether we seize the opportunities to love Jesus with what's been given to us. It's whether we take the opportunities in the moments that God gives us to do something beautiful to Jesus. Don't miss your opportunities to give to Jesus. Don't be so concerned about the value of your possessions and your assets that you miss the opportunity to lavish them on Jesus when you have the chance. Jesus defends this woman's extravagance on the basis of her having a limited time opportunity to do something beautiful for him. To Jesus, that made it all worthwhile. Look what Jesus is saying here in in verse 7 and 8. He says, but you won't always have me. She did what she could. But you won't always have me. She did what she could. 
I want to urge you this morning, don't miss your opportunity to do what you can when you can do it. Don't, please, please, I pray, don't finish your life with a legacy of missed opportunities that leaving you with just all your assets being a monument to your fears instead of your faith. Let your life be marked by seized opportunities to do beautiful things for Jesus each time he gives you the chance to do that. Live in Jesus' economy where extravagant worship is worth it. I find that a struggle as a parent, and I wasn't expecting to have uh, one of my children here as a witness while I talk about it. But for my wife and I, it's a, it is a challenge and a tension for us. If you're a parent, you probably feel similarly this constant temptation to steer our children into playing it safe and living it cautiously instead of radically offering themselves to Jesus all the time. I mean, what do we do when when there's these precious little babies, right? We come up here to the front of the church and we offer them to God and we say, Lord, she's yours. For crying out loud, what if God takes that seriously? And, And then they grow up and they start doing things like Abby Prince does. I don't know if you follow what Abby's been doing, but Abby used to babysit my kids and we loved it. She was this great, godly teenager, and then she grew up, and she went away to college, and she started doing these risky, radical things that are close to God's heart. And in her her following of Jesus, she's been going and living in parts of the world that my wife and I, we look and, I don't know if we want our kids to go where Abby's going. And we're like, okay, we'll take Wheaton College off of the list for for our kids. (laughs) And parents... I want to urge you, we don't have forever to offer our kids to Jesus. We have an opportunity to either hold them back or to encourage them forward. And David and Samantha have provoked Karen and I by their willingness to support Abby by faith to say, you know, we'd love to have you close here at home. We'd love for you to be here. Uh, But we believe your worship to Jesus includes you following the path that he takes you on. And we're in faith for you wherever he takes you in that. And so, brothers and sisters, it matters that as parents, we be willing to pour it all out on Jesus. It's not just when they're babies. That's teenagers and young adults, children as, as our children grow. Don't hold back what's actually his. But let your offering of it to him be worship. You won't always have me, Jesus said. She did what she could. To the critics, he says, why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. And the fact is, we won't always have the chance to do something special for Jesus. She did what she could. And you know what? Jesus said it here. We're going to keep on telling her story wherever the good news about Jesus is spoken. We're going to keep on telling this woman's story because she did something beautiful that's worth valuing. It's unreasonable. It's it's so inefficient. It's wastefully extravagant. But so is the cross. And this woman, in anointing Jesus extravagantly for burial beforehand, she's pointing prophetically to the extravagance of the cross, to the Son of God himself being broken and poured out 
as the salvation of all creation. And when we see Jesus for who he really is, worship is worth it. Even when we have nothing to show for it. Even when it doesn't produce results. Even when our giving doesn't seem to make much difference for anyone else. And even when prayer doesn't seem to change anything. And even when our sacrifice seems to be just burned up. There's nothing worth more. that could even come close than the privilege of lavishing our best on Jesus. And the offense of authentic worship is that it looks like there's nothing to show for it. But Jesus says, you've done a beautiful thing to me. And there's no way to talk about this passage without talking about the competing idol here that is competing for our affection and the supremacy of Jesus, and it's money. Mark describes this passage in a way that we are intended to see and identify that what's in competition here for what Jesus deserves is our love for money. It shows up a couple of times here. Money's the idol in competition with Jesus uh, here in verse 5, where it says, why this waste? It could have been sold for a lot of money. And some of the critics, at least according to the other authors of the other Gospels, included the disciples. These were men who'd been left everything to follow Jesus, but they're still focused in their sense of worth and value on how much money something seems to be able to bring. They're concerned about the money that they feel like has been wasted. And then did you see in verse 10 and 11 what happens? How Mark puts this passage of the extravagant worship and offering of this woman's act toward Jesus in the bookend of the scheming and the plotting of the priests to kill Jesus. And it finishes here in verse 11. Did you see what happens? It says, they promised to give him money. So he looked for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. What did they promise to give him? I can't hear you. And so he looked for an opportunity to sell Jesus. If money is worth more to you than Jesus is, you'll end up betraying him. Jesus challenges our value systems. He's going to keep confronting us about things we love more than we love him. Brothers and sisters, if you and I, if we're not willing to actually change our values in response to Jesus' priorities, yeah, we'll end up betraying him instead. Is worship a waste for you? Unless you get something out of it or can see visible results? The warning in this passage is that our relationship with money matters in our relationship with Jesus. If we don't get him in the right order, we'll end up selling out Jesus. The critics are saying, Jesus isn't worth that much. I mean, it's okay to follow him, to listen to his teaching, to leave other things. But if you really have a lot, then the right thing to do isn't give it to all to Jesus. Maybe some of it. 10%, that might be good. But there's something better you can do with the rest. But what Jesus is saying is, that's the very reason it was intended for. When we think about money, we've got to be able to answer the question, 
Is it mine? Because somehow through my own cleverness or my hard work or my thriftiness, I've earned it or I've saved it, and therefore I should be able to keep it, and I'm the one who decides what's the best and right way to use it. Or is it all still God's money that he's entrusted to me? Not just a portion of it is God's money, all God's money. And he's the one who deserves all of it in ways that he would find beautiful in how I use it. You know, Jesus said this phrase. He said, the poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. When I read that, I I suspect he's actually challenging them to put their money where their mouth is. Because it's all very well and good to armchair quarterback how somebody else is using their money. She should have done something different with that. That could have been used. And Jesus, in a subtle way, is challenging. So how about you? What about the money you've already got? You can help the poor anytime you want. Are you doing it? Don't live life concerning your own money, concerning what God's already entrusted to you. Don't live your life waiting to become generous tomorrow. Don't live your life waiting for things to change so that you finally can. Jesus says you can help anytime you want. How about now? You know, an interesting thing happens to human beings. It happens, an interesting thing happens to human beings as our income level rises. Uh, when you survey just Americans, but it's true not just in America, um, it seems like the more once we start earning more, we feel like we have more to protect, more to lose somehow. And you can watch people become less generous, not more so, as a percentage of what they have. So in 2011, uh, Americans who had their earnings in the top 20%, I'm not talking about the 1% here, I'm talking about the 20%, uh, top 20% of income levels contributed on average about 1.3% to all kinds of charity. 1.3% of their income. But if you look at the bottom 20% of Americans, the bottom 20% of Americans donated about 3.2% of their income to charity. Neither percentage is large, but if you take a note, you'll see that the rich are giving less than half percentage-wise compared to the folks who are at the lower end of the scale. Now, if you're good with numbers, you can probably point out, yeah, but the rich gave a larger amount of money. That's true. But generosity isn't about how much we give. It's more about how much we keep and it's about how we're using what God's given us. And Jesus, when he says, you can help anytime you want, he's challenging us about what we do with what we have. And he says about this woman, she's done a beautiful thing to me. You won't always have chances to do this. She did what she could. You know, the Bible says that he who loves money never has enough money. It's a worship problem. Our relationship with money isn't primarily financial, or numerical. It's about worship. It's about the love and affection of our own heart. The reality is often we think that keeping for ourselves is more worthwhile than giving to Jesus. We don't like to give up control of something that we like to think of as our own. But when something or someone is worth more to us than Jesus, we have a worship problem. So does that mean that Like, I shouldn't be keeping any money? 
to use for family needs like housing, educating my kids, putting clothes on the family, um, transportation, education, things that even, even vacation. Of course we should. God delights to clothe us, to feed us, to bless us, to provide for us. He really does. But he insists that our trust has to be in him and not in our reliance on our money. We've got to remember that everything he's given us still belongs to him, and it's still for him. So that when there's an opportunity to take what we have and use it in a way that's beautiful for him, it's time to break the jar and pour it out. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. There's something precious in that statement because in Jesus saying that, he is predicting the resurrection. I mean, track with this a minute, okay? Because if there's no resurrection, there's no good news to be told everywhere in the world. If there's no resurrection, there's no good news. If there's no good news, there's no telling the story of what she's done. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel, the good news is preached throughout the whole world, you know what? What she's done is going to be part of the story. He's saying resurrection is a certainty. And that means for you and me that worship is never a waste. Resurrection means that nothing we give to Jesus is ever wasted. Why keep telling her story? Because Jesus values extravagant devotion. It's because the good news is at its heart. It's the story of the worth of the Son of God. That God the King came and made himself nothing. And he's bringing a kingdom that doesn't function by the standards and economy and values that the world does. It's a kingdom where children are welcome, where the least are great, where servants lead and leaders serve, and where extravagant acts of devotion that seem wasteful in the world's eyes are actually held up as the example of what's really worthwhile in heaven's eyes. Because there's nothing more worthy or wonderful than Jesus himself. And telling her story is fundamental to the gospel. Because our gospel is the good news that Jesus is all at all. That he is everything to us. He's not our means to an end. He is all in all to us. He's worthy. And there's nothing higher, nothing better than Jesus himself. And I want to challenge you this morning. If your life is full of the busynesses that Joyce talked about, if your life has gotten filled with the complexity of competing priorities... This morning is a chance to simplify it back to this one thing. It's all about Jesus, and he's worth it all. And there's two particular areas I I would direct your attention if you earnestly want to change in this area. The first is contemplate Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus more and more. Day after day, week by week, we're saturated with advertising that tells us that we need other things, 
that we'll be happier, more fulfilled, more popular. Somehow our lives are going to be so much better if we buy this, buy that, look like this. You know, submit to this value system that I keep indicating is over here. No, no offense to you guys who are sitting on this section. The, right? But instead, tune out the ads. Read your Bible. See Jesus in a fresh way. Be amazed again at how he treats people, at his priorities, at the wonder of his love and his grace. He's worthy, so keep him in view. Don't let your view of Jesus get blocked by lesser things. And then the other one is stop holding back. You can help anytime you want. Take the opportunities, the moments that you have. Jesus taught that where our treasure is, our heart will also be. When you give more to Jesus, he actually becomes worth more to you in practice. Start giving. When Ruth goes around with her clipboard, don't run away. When those baskets get passed, uh, don't let that be the moment you got to busily check on your cell phone. Oh, sorry, you know, can't do it right now. But even, even more, you may want to take a private look at your finances and your own giving and see what those are saying to you about where Jesus is in your own priority system. What does it tell you just when you look at your own relationship with finances about what your relationship with Jesus is really functionally like? Because many times we have really good intentions. We sincerely, I mean it genuinely, we really say and believe the things that we sing in the songs. But when we look to our money, we find that there's always something better, some other priority, some other need, something else that's calling for our attention. Don't miss what Jesus says is beautiful. When he gives you opportunities to love him extravagantly with your finances, whether it's in giving in the church here or in other opportunities God gives you with others. The question isn't whether your money is involved in your worship. It already is. The question is, what are you worshiping with your money? Get your money involved in worshiping Jesus because you want to hear him say that you've done a beautiful thing to him. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for so faithfully continuing to give us opportunities to love you in ways that show your worth, that, God, that are beautiful expressions of of the wonderfulness of who you are. God, open our eyes to see differently this morning. God, help us in our struggles, God, where we want to protect and hold on to our children, to our time, to our dollars. Jesus, we want first and all over again. It was the first time now, God, or whether we're just coming humbly back to you again. Say, God, let our story become part of your gospel. God, let the things that we do to you be part of what you want to have told everywhere people talk about you. Lord, I thank you for all the ways this church and each individual in it have been part of displaying your worth and your beauty, God, in the world. Lord, over these last 27 years, God, and for the next however many until you return, Lord, let us keep walking in the joy 